Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Tembani Doralim Hambi, a teacher, a musician, and a student of life. Enjoy this fascinating conversation. Tembani Mhambi, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. It's a pleasure to be here. You, you, as I was reading your bio, your profile, I was saying, wow, there's so many pieces mm-hmm. of this human being. You are a communicator, a marketing expert, a musician, public, public relations uh, expert, you have a passion for education, for art. You've done recruitment. Which one of these is Tembani? The passion for education and art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it spills to other things, doesn't it? It's, it spills to other things, yeah. It's, in fact, it's the people. Mm-hmm. That's the, the people at the heart of everything that I do. But I really love education and art. Artistic endeavors. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, the people, a lot of people say people are problematic. <laughs> Why are you attracted to the people? I think there's probably something in me that just wants to grow and develop. So learning more about people, spending time with people, helping people. I think that's, that's my calling in life. So it's the people. But don't people get to you? I mean, there are being people, there are peopleness. Yes, Doesn't of course. that get into you sometimes? Yes, yes, that does, that does get How to do me. How do you deal with that? With that? Their, their, um, whatever they bring with them, their anger, their frustration, their hate, their, how do you deal with that? It's, I think it's a work in progress. As I've gotten older, I've become a bit more mature. But I think, as Paul said in the Bible, that I haven't attained it. The race is not finished. And, you know, until, until I die, I will still always be maturing and improving in the way that I deal with people. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. It's a work in progress. And what's, what I also, as I was reading your, your bio, is it's as if you have layers of you which continue to be revealed. And uh, the musician, the teacher, the performer. Talk to me about that evolution of you. Um, uh, are you done yet? Or are we going to st- still be experiencing more of you? Are you still evolving? But talk to me in the first instance about that journey of discovering who Tembani is. So the journey, I think it's um, like life breaks you. And then when life breaks you open, then you get to experience more of yourself. So in my younger years, it was trying to fit into the role that was expected of me by family, by society, and in fact, I would say by just even the black society, you know. And then as I've gotten older and realized that I'm living life for myself and not for anyone else, and long term, I can't possibly be happy doing things that other people wanted me to do and not follow my own path. 
So it's that's what's led me to be where I am today. Not fitting in. Not fitting in, yes. <laughs> yes. The, you, you talk about particularly what African culture expected you to be, what other people expected you to be. Talk to me about that pushback that you've had to 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 go through to assert who Tembani is. Okay. So I think for most people coming from our backgrounds, you are your parents expect that they're sending you to a good school and you're going to go to university and you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or a chartered accountant. And when that's not the path that you want to take, then you kind of have to fight, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I can understand our parents because I think parents really feel that they need to protect their children. So they will be saying, I don't think you can do like Jema Gitari, you know, because you it'll be a hard life for you. You're a girl, you're young, people will try and take advantage of you. So it's better for you to go like to medical school or something like that. And it's really out of love. And so you actually experienced that from your parents. Yes, I did experience that, yeah. Talk to me about that that strain. So when I I started playing music in high school. And when I was in A-level, I was studying maths, biology, and chemistry. So my mother insisted that I had to I had to drop all my musical activities. I was doing many, many musical activities. So I dropped pretty much everything except for a few, um, like just one, the orchestra, the Harare City Orchestra, I was still playing with them. But I dropped all my musical activities at school to just focus on my schoolwork. And then after graduating, I wanted to study music. But my mother had said, no, just go to UZ, study a normal degree. And then, and then after that, if you still want to do the music, you can come back to do the music. So... All this many years later, here I am coming back finally <laughs> to the music. So you did what mom said you should do. Yes. You went yeah. to the University of Zimbabwe and you studied um, physiotherapy, is it? Yes, physiotherapy. You studied physiotherapy. Yes. Because as I was, as I was looking at your CV, I'm like, there's very little of physiotherapy here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you actually went, you, you, you actually got awards. Um, uh, at university for uh, third year, you had the best dissertation and that kind of stuff. You're mm-hmm. all doing this because mom wanted you to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's another aspect of me, I guess, is that I'm very task oriented. I like to say I'm a performer. So a performer executes what needs to be executed. And I'm a performer. So if that's what we need to do today, then that's what I'm going to do. So at that time, in that season, I had to complete that degree. And that's, that's why I just put my best effort into it. And you aced it. Yes. What, what, now that you are the elder adult that you are accomplished in what you're doing, what's mom got to say about this? She's very proud of me. She's very proud and she's very supportive. And what we don't discuss, <laughs> we never go back to that discussion. But um, she, she can see that I'm happy now with yeah. what I'm doing. It's yeah. never a profitable discussion, isn't it? Yeah, to, to it's go not, back a, to, it's not say, a profitable discussion at yeah. all. Yeah. Okay. Um, what did, where did you get the inspiration from? When you look at uh, your, your, your musical journey, your journey as a mm. performer, 
Uh, where does it come f- where does it come from talk to me about that Jenny your passion for music your passion for performing concerts live concerts and that kind of stuff talk to mm-hmm. us about that okay so when i was in high school i was i was i was bullied a lot at school and high school was actually a very difficult time for me so she's a pity yes she's a pity girls yes so it was a very difficult time for me i was coming from a government school and I was the only person from my primary school at Chisipiti. And Chizi has a, a feeder school. So there were many people who knew each other and they were all friends with each other. So here's me. I'm from a different school. I don't know anyone, not a soul. And then I also look a bit different. And I was quite um, obese as a child. So I was also... Um, fat. So it was it was a very difficult time for me. And then I'm also very young and it's like just trying to come into myself. And mm. it was that transition was like being hit by a train. Mm. Mm. Unpacked to us, if you may, um, any specific incidents of bullying that you dealt with at, at Chisipiti? And when you say you're looking different, you mean the rest were white, the majority were white and you're black. Is that what you're talking about? So so the other people came from fairly well-off families. So for, for me, I was there on like a bursary. So that's, that's why I was there. And then coming from a home, like it was a single parent home. So most of the other girls had, their mothers were housewives and things like that. Mm. So we, we were different, you know. So even on civvies days and things like that, you would see the difference. Mm. Yeah. And I, looking back, I think it was just little, little kids being little kids and trying to find significance by kind of exercising the, what they thought was power. Mm on somebody else that they perceived to be weaker rather than trying to find it in themselves, trying mm-hmm. to find that significance within themselves without needing to kind of put, put, down, put themselves put out there on top yeah. of everybody else in a negative way. Yeah. Mm. So, Any scars that have stayed with you as far as that aspect of your, your life is concerned, bullying and uh, being in a space where you, f- from what I'm reading, you get the sense you don't fit? Yeah, I definitely felt like I didn't fit. And it was, I always say I've got like PTSD from the bullying, Hmm. but it's also gave me that I'll show you kind of attitude. So everything that happened to me in junior school, I was like, I mean, in high school, Hmm. I just said, I'll show you, Hmm. you know, and that pretty much shaped my adult life and the pursuit of different activities and um, developing myself and con- continuously working on myself. Mm. So as an example, I applied to join the Toastmasters Club in high school and they said no. And like they just rejected the letter. And then the word was that I wasn't part of the cool, the cool girls. And the first thing I did after high school was join Toastmasters International. And then eventually I became the president of the club. So it's those kind of things that I feel the bullying actually gave me, um, it, it gave me a boost. It was like the my first real push. I'm yeah. going to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's remained your attitude towards life? Now my attitude has changed a lot <laughs> because obviously life happens, but I still want to pursue excell- mm. excellence. Mm. Yeah. The, so... You, you, Admiral, Admiral Tate, that's where you did your primary. And yes. then Chisipiti Girls High. And um, looking at your um, 
at your bio. There's, there's a couple of people that played a big role in who you became, particularly as a musician. If, if, if there are a few that you want to um, highlight, I would love that. Uh, D. Wright, mm-hmm. Paul Coleman, Sibu Moyo, Bruce Bryan, Lona Kelly. All these people poured something in you. Yes. Talk to me about those people. So, uh, Di Wright, she was my first music teacher, and she was, like, we had a love-hate relationship. I think she's still teaching at Chizzy today. If you talk to anyone from Chizzy, from the music department, they'll tell you about Di Wright. But she really expected a high standard of excellence, and she was so committed to music that even when she was teaching me, I was when I started, I was learning the viola, and the viola is totally different. The viola uses a different um, cliff, like the musical writing is, it's slightly different. Mm. You have to read it differently. Mm. And she was, she would be on the next page of the music book and I would be on the page before. So that's, that's how it was, but she was really committed. And I think she sparked that love of music in, Mm. in me. And then a year after I started, I studied with Dai probably for a year. And then after that, I studied with Paul Coleman. Mm -hmm. So Paul Coleman, at the time he was at St. George's and he was the head of music at St. George's. Today he's in the UK um, doing big things and he's always coming back to Zim as well. And it's always so great to see him. And Paul really inspired me. And he he fostered the love of music. He picked just the right music Mm. for me to learn and work on and develop my technique. Mm. And then and the way that he would teach, his teaching style was just was just amazing. And I've been lucky to work with Paul even more recently, like at Haifa and other other shows and concerts here. about the piece that you've just done now, this beautiful piece. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm absolute, I'm a novice. So please, what was that all about? So, so the piece that I played, I just played a few excerpts from the Chacon by Vitali. And it's written for violin. So it's always nice to play music that's written for the violin rather than music that's adapted. Mm-hmm. So maybe if the music was written for piano and then adapted, it's not as nice. But what I like about this piece is that it's in the Baroque style, which I really like. And it's got the chords and um, like the, the progression of the melody as well. Mm. So it's very well written. It's in triple time. So it's supposed to be like a dance. Right. Yeah. But then it's also in a minor key. So it's in G minor. So it's you also that a that I'm, I'm looking at you, listening to you, mm-hmm. because all this is going over my head. <laughs> But I'm sure somebody out there absolutely gets what you're talking about. But continue, please. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it's it's in G minor. So it does have that kind of um, pensive, almost sad um, aspect to it. And I have to say I'm drawn to that kind of music. You are. Why? There's just something about it that's very human. Yeah. Well, not melancholy, but... Mm. 
it's it's um it's like the heart you know the actual heart of life the heart of being a human being mm. yeah mm. do do you write pieces or you just you just perform you just perform i do write music yeah yeah okay i do i do write a little bit of music well what's what's uh what's your inspiration talk to us about your creative pro- process as 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 a writer and as a musician as a singer okay so when i'm performing usually like with the singing it's i just love the music i grew up listening to motown show tunes um barbara streisand just everything in between you know reggae music r&b so i really love music mm. you know i'd stay up at night as a child and like be listening to the radio <laughs> till all hours and then i think those days we had radio 1 as well and um they played a lot of classical music mm. but in terms of my creative process when i'm writing music especially like for the violin then the music just comes to me mm. yeah so i haven't like really refined my creative process to the point where i can fully control it it's still something where i'll just like get an idea and then suddenly i get many many more ideas and then it is that together. not the creative process itself i mean can can you perfect this thing or this is just how it comes to you well you need to you need to get it to be more efficient so yeah. in there's a book by steven pressfield um turning pro and he talks about just becoming professional about yeah. your creative discipline So in terms of creating new work I've not reached that point of being really professional about it. Mm. Yeah, and controlling that creative process to say okay now we are creating we're not waiting for inspiration we're just going to create. Wow. I haven't got there yet. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Imagine getting free access to the Newsday, the Standard, the Zimbabwe Independent and the Weekly Digest for a full month. What well, you can And all you need to do is download the Newsday e-reader app on Google Play Store or scan the Newsday QR code in any of the AMH print publications and start enjoying the quality content. Usasaririrewe, famba ne time, famba ne chokwadi, famba ne e-paper. The choice for classical music talk to me about that 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 process why you why you you've been attracted to this and your journey uh in playing classical music mm-hmm. so i grew up listening to a lot of classical music my mother listens to a lot of classical music so that was in our environment and i guess from that my first teacher paul coleman he really loved classical music and he taught it to me in a way that was that just inspired me and got me so fascinated and interested in it and at the time when i was learning the viola and the violin it wasn't common to have this kind of crossover the classical crossover and the fusion that came much later so if you were learning in the school system you were learning to go into the classical system and play in an orchestra mhm mhm and um uh you must have been one of the first few to to have gotten into classic, classical music it's, it's not a black thing <laughs> classical music am i right yeah it's it's not a black thing so yeah when when we started like when we first started in form 1 there were 
I'd say it was probably 50-50, but over time, you know, some of the black students fell away and they stopped, they were focusing more on sport or on the academics. Why did they fall away? Was it, were they discouraged? Um, talk to me about that. I think part of it, there's actually two sides to it. So part of it is that the maybe their parents didn't see it as a useful thing. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that because at the time that I was growing up, you didn't have, like today you've got the Kanye Mason children and they are really, they're, they're black and they're internationally famous. But at that time, you didn't have a lot of really famous black people to emulate when it comes to the classical music. So for many of them, I think it was, they just kind of felt like there was a glass ceiling and they Mm. just said, this is a waste of my time. Mm. Let me focus on basketball or soccer. Do do, do you experience any racism yourself um, in in this genre? I would say generally in, because I play a classical instrument, there's this perception that classical music and people who like classical music or opera and things like that are somehow, you know, sort of snooty and (laughs) better than other people. So because of that, it attracts, it it naturally attracts people that might have that mindset that European things or non-Zimbabwean things or white people are better than, than black, than black people. Mm. So I've had, there was one event where I was performing and it was actually, it was a wine tasting event. And where was this? It was in Harare. Okay. Yeah, it was in Harare at a, a restaurant. I think that they've closed down now. This is quite. This is probably 2017 mm-hmm. or 2016, and um, they hired me to perform. They paid me, and then there was a Polish lady that arrived, and she was moving. She had heard that there was this wine tasting and that there was going to be some violin music, and she just arrived with a violin talked to the organizers and they told me to stop playing so that she could play and they quickly did a sound check and she performed for the rest of the event, you know. And it's things like that where it's actually our own people that are doing that to ourselves. Wow. Yeah. Last year I had another event where they had asked me to perform, but they said I needed to have white people with me in the group. And I'd said to them, This you know, is in Zimbabwe. This is in Zimbabwe. Last year. Yes, last year. And is this um, a group of white people or a group of black people? This was it's actually a local indigenous company and they were launching their business. So they were saying their clientele was multiracial. So I'd said to them, even I've performed for all white people. This is unbelievable. Mm. It's it was shocking. So they actually said to me, if you don't have white people in your group. Can you find extra violence and we'll find white people to pretend to be playing in the background while you're performing? I don't believe you're saying it's, this. Uh, it's, it's so ludicrous. And then they said, we'll pay you whatever you want. And I just said to them, you know, out of principle, it's, it's not even about the money. It's about the principle. And I think there's that kind of pers- mindset that it's all about the money. So even at the other event, they said to me, oh, but it's fine. We've paid you. So you get to sit for the rest of the event. And I was like, it's not about the money. It's the principle of taking a black person off the stage to put a white person. It's the principle of thinking that something looks better because cosmetically they are fairer people. Wow, I am stunned. So it's really really shocking. So did they find the black person who was prepared to uh, put up with this nonsense? I I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't know. I just said, I said to them, I'm not the person. Mm. This is not the kind of event that I do. Mm. Yeah. You have performed at great events, um, mm -hmm. corporate events, high-profile events, corporate events, music festivals, and concerts. Talk to me about one such event that stands out for you and, and why it stands out for you. Okay. So the event that really stands out for me is... I'd have to say it's an event that I did this year. It was actually a farewell party. And what was why it stood out for me is when I used to work in corporate many, many years ago, I used to, I, I was working for a company. We had like a human resources consulting division that we set up. And our, one of our first clients was actually the Securities Exchange Commission of Zimbabwe. So that's the first time that I was kind of interacting with the Securities Exchange Commission. So it was, I don't know if ironic is the correct word, but it was interesting that back in 20, 2012, 2013, I was going there, meeting with the CEO. We were doing the HR policies and procedures. And then fast forward to 2018, I think it was, mm -hmm. they were launching like the C-Trade app. And then I performed at that event as well. So the performing this year at the farewell for the CEO, that oh. was just, it was, it was nice for me. I was just like, you know, this journey has been worth it. Mm -hmm. And I've come from being on the other side to, you know, still interacting with the people, but mm -hmm. as a musician. Mm -hmm. So that really... Um, and that and stood out for me. That's been the best event. You've done collaborations with um, the Soweto String Quartet. I love this Soweto String Quartet. Yeah. The late Oliver Mtukudzi, Louis Mtlana, Simpi Wedana. Speak to me in the first instance about the decision to do a collaboration. What goes, what's, what goes through your mind as you're deciding on, 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 on collaborations? Are you approached or... Is it is it a, is it a, is it something that comes from you, and and which one stands out for you? I mean, for me, these are amazing people. Each mm -hmm. one of them I'd go to to listen to. I mean, uh, Oliver Mtukudzi may so rest in peace. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes. So with with those collaborations, like with the Soweto String Quartet, the event organizer had organized. She had booked the Soweto String Quartet, and then my sister and I were performing as the sort of curtain raiser, you could say, for the Soweto String Quartet. Right. And then with the Simpiwe Dana and Luim Schlanger, that was, they were doing sort of a pan-African or pan-sub-Saharan African <laughs> orchestra. And that's, I was, I went representing Zimbabwe. Mm. So it was myself and a lady named Jane Namo. And then with Chuku, that was, the brainchild of Billy St. John. Mm. He was actually an Australian that was in Zimbabwe for some time. And he was an amazing music teacher. Mm. So he had this idea that, you know, it would be awesome to have Tuku performing with an orchestra. And then for one of our music camps, we have these music camps every year. And for one of the music camps, they had a conductor come from America and he, he's like, he um, wrote out all the music and arranged all the parts for several of Tuku's songs. And it was just amazing mm. to, to see that. And what was fascinating about that experience, other than working with Tuku, and was seeing how, you know, the, like I'm sure you know, like some of Tuku's music is 
it's it's got more of our urban our Zimbabwean rhythms, mm. you know. So it was very difficult for the musicians that had come from America to understand the rhythm. And in the end, I remember for one of the songs for Wenge Mambo, the mm. conductor had to rearrange the parts. And then in the end, the percussion, the whole percussion section, which is like the marimbas and the drums, they just did their, they were just like, okay, we know the song, we know the rhythm, <laughs> we will do our thing. Yeah. And then you guys figure yourselves out. But it was really difficult for him to write, to, to, to put Tugu's music into, into, like just into the sheet music with the notes and the time signatures and everything. Fascinating. Yeah. So talk to me about you, you are performing. Do you go into the zone and you lose yourself or you are alive to the audience and there are certain things that the audience does which either picks you up or makes you lose your concentration? Talk to me about that, mm -hmm. the stage sense as it were. Okay. So playing the violin, it's probably like one of the hardest instruments to play. And I always say to people, it's like playing a guitar without frets. So you're literally only depending on, on your ear. So when you perform, you have to just... The best performances are when you go into the zone. But Close your I, eyes? Uh, sometimes, but I prefer to keep my eyes open. Because you've got to see, see the conductor, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So, so when, we're, when we're performing, uh, like in an orchestra, everybody knows their part. We've had weeks or months of rehearsal so that's not that's quite okay you know there's no stress about that mm. but when i'm performing solo on my own then that's when i really just i go mm. into the zone and i just focus i have to focus but there's something that happens when i've really prepared well mm. i can actually feel it's like a spiritual thing you know and i think everyone experiences with experiences it when they listen to music that they really like and you just feel like there's, there's something else that's with you. You know, you're feeling the presence of God. And I've had performances like that where I've just felt this extra. I was like, that was not me. <laughs> Even when I look at the video, so like that um, farewell party was an example of that where there was just something else that was, that had me in the zone. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was just, yeah, the spirit of God. Your performing. connection with the audience, what is it that would... Uh take you out of the zone as far as the audience <laughs> is concerned? Somebody screaming, shouting? Um, as long as, like, the people can do whatever they want, as long as it's not directed at me. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a few instances where people will come and then they'll say, um, do you have any business cards <laughs> while I'm playing? And I'll, I'll be, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm performing. How can you ask me for a business card? All my hands are occupied. You know, and then something like that could take me out of the zone. And then obviously if there's something with the sound or if I break a string, mm. then that would take me out of the zone as well. Mm. Yeah. 1999, you founded um, Classical Fusions, which was um, um, resulted in 2017 with the birth of uh, Adora Lee. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Okay. So... Um, with classical fusions, it was, I would always perform as, like, perform with other people. So we'd always be at least two. And 
over time, I just found as I was getting older and some of my colleagues, my musical colleagues were getting older, people were getting married, having children. It was just harder to get together and rehearse. And we had one wedding, I think it was a Bushman's Rock, where we had only done one rehearsal. And on the day of the wedding, it was just a total disaster. And then I just said to myself, you know, I can't, I can't like charge somebody and, uh, or even put my name to something that I'm not satisfied with. It's not a good quality. And even if you're the best musicians, anyone will tell you that you have to work together. You have to understand each other's chemistry and synergy. So I've just found it easier to work on my own. And that's why I then went into the Adorali. And that's, it's been an exciting journey for me. Talk to us about solo. it, please. Unpack it. So the, the Adorali kind of started off as I was at Zim Open. So again, these things coming from the past. So when I used to be on the Mayor's Cheer Fund, on the board for the Mayor's Cheer Fund, we had one of our fundraising golf days at Chapman Golf Club during the Harare Open. And then through that, I met some of the organizers of the Zimbabwe Open. And for, I think, two years, I helped them, you know, with organizing the Zim, the Zim, Zim Open. Yes. Mm. And so I was we'll, helping we'll with the events. We'll get to volunteering because it's gotten into <laughs> a lot of trouble. But uh, yes. please continue, yeah? <laughs> so, so I was helping with organizing some of the events, like the mm. VIP events and things like that. And it was just so funny that in 2018, I was like, you know, there's, there's these receptions, these VIP receptions at the Zim Open. Mm. Why don't I just play? And then I just recorded, I think it was um, George Michael, uh, Guilty, uh, Guilty Feet. And so I just played it, r recorded it, sent it to him. And then he was like, oh, okay, cool. Come, come. We want you to perform. <laughs> and just like that, I started performing. And then I was like, why don't I just do this seriously and do, take, do this more often? And you did. And then I did, yeah. And? And I could probably take it more seriously, but for now, it's I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's got a life of its own? It definitely has a life of its own, but <laughs> I'm like <laughs> trying to rein it in. Yeah. Yeah. Because I still feel like there's so much more for me to do. Mm. I don't think performing at events is the only thing that mm. God has put me on this earth to do. Mm. Yeah. Um. God is very important to you. I think this mm -hmm. is the fifth time that you've mentioned uh, <laughs> him. Um, and you say that uh, you are a daughter of, uh, primarily a daughter of God. Mm -hmm. And you say that your faith is the foundation of whatever you do. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about your faith, what it has done for you, and your relationship with God. So I think with the faith, it keeps me going. You know, even when I'm in the depths of despair, there's still always that little seed, mm. you know. And in the Bible, Jesus says, you just need a mustard seed of faith. And that mustard seed has seen me through many, many difficult seasons. Mm. Yeah. So that faith of knowing that this is not the end, this is what God has planned. So even if something doesn't go my way, I know that there's, God is in control mm. and I have to just surrender. And often it's in the surrender that things start to move. So it's almost like I'll be in my own way. And then when I surrender and I say, okay, God, this is something I can't see, but I'm 
going to just have faith that you are in control of the situation. And every single time he comes through. It's not easy to surrender, though. It is not easy. Especially if you're a performer, an executor kind of person, then it's very difficult to surrender. Mm. Yeah. You always want to be doing something. Interesting that you're talking about surrendering. And yet when we started, um, there was a very uh, determined lady Mm -hmm. pushing against what mom was saying, not surrendering to what mom was saying. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that uh, apparent contradiction. (laughs) So... I would say that you you push and push and push, and then at a certain point, like you learn. So I always say I went to the school of hard knocks, and um, because of that, I kept learning all the hard lessons. I think mm-hmm. there were so many things I could have just learned from talking to other people, hearing their experiences, and then I would know that okay, the fire burns. Let's not go to the fire. But I had to I had to feel the fire yeah. for myself yeah. to be sure. Yeah. And now on the other side of that process of, you know, kind of this like hurting child grows up into sort of a rebellious um adolescent and then trying to prove herself. So it goes into the sort of overconfident, ego, arrogant kind of person, and then like life just humbles you, cuts you down to size. And then you're now in this state of surrender and mm. just acceptance. Mm. And yeah, surrender, acceptance, mm. and trust. Mm. Mm-hmm. Where has life humbled you? There have been so many experiences. Um, the one lesson life has continued to teach me is you are not your circumstances. You are not your past experiences. You are not your job or anything else that you would want to define yourself with so what are you i am a child of god Mm. Mm -hmm. and i'm here to live out his purpose for my life Mm. Mm. yeah Mm. the and how did you find your faith for a lot of people Mm -hmm. it's trauma i think for me it was it was my personal problems Mm -hmm. um my marital problems that uh, made me realize that i needed god in my life what is your turning point so I've had I've had several turning points. I've always I feel like my life mm. with faith is like you know it's kind of up and down. There's up and down, but the general trend of the graph is an upward trend mm. in the increase of faith. Mm. So I've had several times when I've just really hit rock bottom, and um, it's picking up the pieces. And I would say God is a patient God. So you hit rock bottom. And he, like, he just leaves you and you try and do everything else. Keep busy. Um, and he says, and, are you done? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> he says, are you done? Yeah. And then after that, you may, maybe you say, oh, no, there's still this one more thing I want to try. And he's like, really? Just, Go just on. give it to me. Let me just take <laughs> it over. And then you say, okay, now I surrender to you, Lord. So you've um, 
given us a, a, a hint into what life has done to you and how God has come through for you in those instances. And, and looking through at what you've gone through, um, there's been lots of trauma. Um, mm -hmm. 1993, 1995, your parents divorced and then separated. Um, 1997, your father passed away. 2008, you got married. Uh, 2011, you got divorced. Mm. 2014, your ex-husband um, died through to complications of uh, chronic alcoholism. This mm. can't be easy. Mm. This is heavy trauma. This is lots of grief. I'm, I'm looking all. I'm looking at it from the viewpoint of the kind of music that you like playing. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then this real experience in your life, mm -hmm. talk to me about what this trauma has done to you, how you dealt with it, mm -hmm. and what lessons life has taught you. So with trauma, I've been doing quite a bit of research into trauma. And one of the things I've seen even in my own life is that there's a kind of self-protecting mechanism. So if you see like a chameleon crossing the road, when the chameleon is threatened, it will um, they'll change to blend in with the environment. And I feel that as children, children have this wonderful ability to just completely shield and cocoon themselves from whatever is happening around them. And I always find it so remarkable that these little people that are, you know, they've been on this earth for five years or 10 years, and they can withstand so much trauma. So in my own life, I can see that that carried me through most of my like developmental years. And then as a young adult, I was still kind of cocooned. And obviously that cocoon is not going to work when you're now an adult and you have to make your own decisions and then you have to start dealing with life. So for me, from the time that I got divorced to the time that my ex-husband passed away, that was, was, I was still in that kind of like the little hurt, angry child, but still trying to hide it. And then 2014 to 2016, I'd say, is when things kind of bubbled up to the surface. And then I had to deal with it. And that was really the first time that I could How say... How did it bubble up to the surface? My whole life completely fell apart. So I, w I was still doing things um, and contributing and participating, but... I think for about six months, I was unemployed. I had to sell everything. I think I've, I had to pack up home twice, mm. you know, where I completely pack up everything, sell it off and move back home. And I've had to do that twice. I had to do that twice during that period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it was like really just, you, you're at the bottom and there's nothing else. There's no one that you can phone and say, I'm looking for a job or can you give me this contract? There's nothing. It's now just you and God. And for me during that time, that's when I really started introspecting. And I would say since then, I've become a bit more introverted. So straight after the divorce, I was very, I was always with my friends and just trying to block everything out. If I wasn't with my friends, I was working and that was my life. I never ever had a free moment to really sit and think about what had happened or grieve the loss. And then in 2014, that's when things kind of came to a head. And then that's when I started my 
real like adult faith. You know, before I was just being carried through by the faith that I had growing up in the Anglican church. But now I was had my own faith. I think Job says, I before I'd heard of the Lord, now I have seen him. And for me that was definitely that. Like I had I saw the Lord mm. and he provided for me in ways that are just so amazing. Mm. 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 And he brought people around me that had a lot of faith in me and in what I could do. And it's because of those people and that time that I'm doing all of this today. Mm. Otherwise, I would have just got another job within the sort of corporate <laughs> corporate space and maybe, you know, be a marketing director or PR or something, you know, and not be doing any of this music mm. stuff. So it's because of that season that mm. all of this has come to be here. Yeah. The, the connection between... The soul for music is that the right expression? Yes, I would say that soul for music. Pre- yeah. Play the humanity and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and your life. Um, are you drawn to that? Talk to me about. Have you ever made the connection? Because <laughs> when I was reading, I was like, "Wow, this is interesting." Mm-hmm. So much trauma and this music that uh, she plays. Mm-hmm. And when talk to me about that bit. So I think the the music. There's something about the frequency of the music. So. Uh, as human beings, I think that we there's the, the parts of us that we can see and then there's other parts that we can't see or we don't really mm. understand, mm. but we can definitely perceive them. So if you listen to music that you really love and enjoy, it's that other part of, of you that like we still can't quantify on what it is, but mm. there's that part of our lives. So with that kind of music, I feel that because I carry a lot of this grief and sadness that music appeals to me Mm. and it's almost kind of healing in a Mm. way. Yeah. Will there, will there ever be a season when you are done with the grief and that there's then a disconnect between you, the person and the music music. that you play and you might be, you might move on. Um. Have you reflected (laughs) on that? I haven't reflected on that, but just from what I know from, going through the grief process so many times is that grief is a process, not an event. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a lifetime, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And you live with the pain. You're always going to live with the pain. So even when you're happy, that pain is still always going to be there. Mm. Yeah. Are you getting help at all? Oh, yeah. There's there's so many really good um, resources. So... Before the pandemic, I used to do, there's some nice group, um, like groups, group therapy, I could say, at, hear the word, at Celebration Center. And then during the pandemic, I was working with a, yeah. with the therapist from South Africa and a life coach as well. So they were helping me. And then now I still continue yeah. with one-on-one yeah. therapy and counseling here in Zim now. So, you know, since reading the book, um, The Road Less Traveled, mm-hmm. I have never been as convinced as I am right now about the importance of therapy for each one of mm-hmm. us. That all of us somehow are broken. And we need to have a moment where you talk to somebody about that. Has that been your experience? Yes, definitely. I can say part of why my life <laughs> fell apart or reached that point, it just came to a head. It was all that fear, resentment, anger, guilt, shame for, from all those years that had just been piling up. And it was in getting help 
that I came to the other side of forgiveness, building my faith, and just being grateful, having the gratitude for the things that have happened. Mm. So it's for me now, it's a daily process. So in the morning and in the evening, I'll sit, write everything that's bothering me, and then like meditate. And maybe sometimes I'll meditate on a Bible verse. Other times I'll just sit in silence. Mm. Yeah, to just beautiful, isn't let it? Go I encourage it. I, I, I do it all the time. Mm. I love the example you used about children, and I think there's a point there for me when you say, you know, children when they come into this world, mm. they they have this they have this ability to protect themselves. Yeah. You know, something falls, they will, you know, it it will not hit them. Mm-hmm. But as has has been discovered, they do carry some scars. Yes, definitely. Um, um, uh, if not all scars, until that is dealt with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at some point, we all need to come to face-to-face with whatever scars we're carrying. Yes, yes, we do. We definitely, life will, eventually you'll meet up with it. You know, I think there are a few really lucky people that get through life and they never have any hardship. But for most of us, there'll be something. Yeah. There will definitely be something. Is volunteering... A way out for you because you love volunteering. <laughs> you have, uh, you've, mm-hmm. uh, you, you right now have a job, isn't it? As uh, twenty twenty one, since twenty twenty one, yeah, since last you year, you volunteered with uh, the Mbari Art Space, mm-hmm. and you're now the project manager. Like mm-hmm. I said, you know, you you have a tendency to raise your hand, and that gets into trouble. You now have a job <laughs> because you raise your hand. Talk to yeah. me about what this uh, uh, Mbari Art Space is all about and what it means to you. Okay, so the Mbari Art Space, it's a really amazing project. I think it's an amazing group of people and all my past experience, it's as if, you know, God was preparing me for such a time as this. And I can bring in all all the skills that I've gained in the past. When I used to work in corporate, I used to work for a construction project management company. So I'm familiar with some of the things relating to construction and then my own experience in the arts. And at Mari Art Space, it's, they are renovating Chueshe Beer Hall. I don't know if you know Marengenye Ba. No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so it's, it's one of the uh, beer halls, like the referral marketing beer halls. So we're changing that, transforming that space. And the idea is that we want it to spark a transformation mm. of Mbari, which is Harare's oldest suburb. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of important things that are that are like truly Zimbabwean that define us as Zimbabweans came out of Mbari. Outline that what what exactly you're doing with the project? What's happening in there? So so we are renovating the mm-hmm. beer hall. We want to have some artist studios, uh-huh. like an artist studio compound, mm-hmm. where the artists can work comfortably. But we also want to have uh, like a restaurant, and then also provide a platform for the community, the mm. people in the community to also participate in the arts and learn about the art and also possibly sell some of their wares. Mm. Because the idea is to create, um, I could call it like city tourism. Okay. So like in Soweto, they have yes. Vilakazi Street. Yes. So it's not people are not just coming to see um, Nelson Mandela's house. There, there's, there are going to be some people cooking. There's the dancers. The people selling little mm. uh, memorabilia, and that's what we'd like to have. You know that when people come, they don't just come and go to Vic Falls. We want them to come. They can go to Mbari Art Space. Zimbabwean artists have a long history, and they've Beautiful. enjoyed a lot of success yeah. internationally. But we don't celebrate them locally. Mm. So the Mbari Art Space, we're trying to capture the energy of Mbari as well, mm. and have have the space where the artists can work mm. and 
produce their... How is the project funded? Does it, is it obviously it's, you're just starting? How is it funded? We're we just starting, yeah. yeah. So the, the way we are operating at the moment is we apply for grants. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, the, the, you spoke earlier on about the fact that when you were young, you were fat. That's, what, that's <laughs> the word you used. Yeah. Um, you then did a dissertation on obes obesity, obesity mm -hmm. uh, amongst young people um, in, in Harare. You managed to lose weight. Um, uh, and I realized that uh, you love uh, running. You've done the Comrades Marathon or the Two Oceans? Two Oceans. Mm -hmm. two oceans. Talk to me about your the, the, your, 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 the lifestyle that you lead that has made you uh, deal with the obesity that you used to, to, to deal with. I used to struggle with. Yeah. So I think with the eating, that was, was really linked to emotional... It was really a way of coping and feeling that comfort. So when we eat, we feel... It, it, just, it feels like a like a blanket, you know. So when I started dealing with those issues, then it was easier for me to mm. to lose the weight. Yeah. So when I I used to run a lot more. Nowadays I don't run that much. I'm actually focusing more on yoga. But before I used to run a lot, and it was because I was trying to run away from my stress. But I still had that same emotional pain. Mm. So whenever I would stop running, I would quickly gain weight, you know. Mm. And then it was after starting to deal with those emotional issues and then be more conscious. You know, I really mm. think awareness and consciousness is such an important thing, not just for what we eat, but how we spend every minute of our day. We have to just be really aware of what we're doing and why am I doing this? How do I feel when I'm doing this? How am I going to feel after? How am I going to feel tomorrow? You know, and then after that, you make better decisions with the future in mind rather than instant gratification. Not easy, hey? It's not easy. Self-awareness mm. is, is a full-time job. It is. And you have to face yourself and all your broken and basic humanness. That's the hardest part. But imagine if all of us did that. What a wonderful world it would be. Because you think about what you are saying, mm -hmm. you think about what you're doing, the consequences of what you're saying and the consequences of what you're doing mm -hmm. uh, and thinking. And you grow every day. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're not the same person that, that you were yesterday. Exactly. Exactly. Every 365 days, <laughs> 365 <laughs> days of growth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it would be wonderful if we all lived like that. Is reading part of this journey for you? I mean, let's tend to books now. Um, you love reading. Yes, I, I really love reading. And I've asked reading. you to, uh, <laughs> to, to share a so couple I have, of books. <laughs> what, what books have you read that you'd want to share? I've, I have so many books that have changed my life, changed the way I see different things. But I'll just share a couple of books, about a couple of books today. So the first book is As a Man Thinketh mm. by James Allen. Small book. It's a small book, but powerful so much, book. yeah, really powerful, so much wisdom. And it, it just takes you through what it takes. Because I think as human beings, we look at each other a lot and we say, oh, this person has that. So why, why don't I have that? I'm better than them. 
So as a man, I think it was good for that clarification to say, we, don't, we can't go into anyone's mind. And then the next book is The Slight Edge. Um, I think that's Jeff Olson. And what I like about The Slight Edge is, the, like the whole premise of the book is, it takes the rest of your life to fail. <laughs> and success is in the small things, the small things that are easy to do and easy not to do. And they just get compounded over time. And it's so true that in the, when you're younger, you don't notice it. It's only when you're older that you start to see the, the, the compounding effect. So when you're young, I'm sure we all know the compounding graph. So at the beginning part of the graph, it's quite flat. But there comes a point where that doubling every year, it becomes an exponential, it's an exponential curve. So the person who's doing those little disciplines every day, they can enjoy that. There comes a point where the doubling is going to give them that exponential progress. But for the other person, they'll just continue, you know, or maybe even go down. So that's the slight edge. And then there's... I, I like that book. I think I'm going to get The slight edge. Definitely going to get it. The slight edge is an amazing book. I'm going to read it, yeah. yeah. And then... The third book? The third book is Psycho-Cybernetics hmm. by Maxwell Maltz. A heavy, heavy read. But it's in, it's a brilliant book. So he talks about self-image and how the self-image and identity pretty much shape who we are in life. So when I look at my own life, there was, the, and like my peers that I was talking about back at school where they all dropped out of the music and it's that identity that we, we, are, we are black, so this is not something we can be good at. There's this perception black people can't swim and all these things. So it's that identity, it's that self-image that we have. And if you change that self-image, then your life changes. So that book, Psycho-Cybernetics, was actually written by a plastic surgeon. And he just talks about how his patients would come and he'd have one patient with like a scar across his head. And he got his scar from like maybe a sword fight. So for him... When he goes into the next fight and they see the scar, they're like, we're, we're dealing with a tough guy here. But the other person also has a scar, maybe from a car accident, and he's a salesman. And he's like, I can't go and face my clients anymore because I don't look beautiful. But it's the same scar. So it's this concept of self-image and identity. And then he also introduces the idea of the success mechanism and failure mechanism. And what leads to failure, which is buying into the frustration, the fear, the disappointments that inevitably will come from life. Even if you did everything perfectly in life, there's this thing, this random thing about life that's just going to hit you. The pandemic, a car accident, something will come. And you, you can allow that to lead you to failure, or you can use that, reframe it, and let it put you on an upward trajectory. Mm. Mm. Powerful books. Yeah. Uh, the... the, the thing for me from what you're saying is that um, life what life has taught me is that we can make anything what we want it to be yes yes definitely i mean the way you've described that scar it's, yes it's what you make it to be it's what you frame it to be exactly exactly and sometimes the the, the things that we want don't make us happy so he also talks about patients where they have all the cosmetic surgery to look like the magazine models and but does she, that make them but happy? they're still not happy yeah. you know she'll still look in the mirror and say oh i'm too fat and my nose is too wide and it's still that it's still that same self-image so until you change the psychology 
then you you aren't going to have that change in mm. in your actual life mm. yeah do you think uh Timbani Adora Lee Mhambi has found a purpose I think so yes <laughs> I've, I I believe I have found my purpose and what's that purpose it's to teach to teach and inspire people and mm. help them to heal I feel that all the pain and struggle that I've been through hasn't been for nothing mm. there's definitely something that I'm supposed to give back to the world to make it a better place to to be a light in the world. Wow. Tambana this has been thought provoking. Let <laughs> <laughs> me go inside myself and um the 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 um mindfulness. Mhm. Self-awareness. Mhm. Uh, the importance of meditation, the importance of knowing ourselves. Mm-hmm. if only we could like you and I agreed you know this would be yeah. an amazing place mm-hmm. um like i said i i see layers of you being displayed mm-hmm. and can't wait to see what <laughs> else is going to be revealed yeah but all i can say is uh wish you all the best thank you with your purpose with being a child of god and manifesting all the talents that God has given you. Thank you. Thank you for finding the time to be here. Allow me now if you may to turn to our viewers uh Timbani who are all across the world to say thank you for following uh these amazing conversations. Remember we are a weekly show. We are out on Mondays on on YouTube at 7 a.m. Central African time. We invite you to go to our website. We ha- now have a website, convowithtrevor.com, where all our content sits including on the on our YouTube channel. On our YouTube channel, please subscribe, like and share as much as possible and subscribe to our newsletter too, which uh, lets you know who is coming up next. Thank you for watching. Until next time. Cheers to you all.